0: Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Welcome to another awesome episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Jason Day, and I spent some time with Tony Morgan, the founder of the Unstuck Group, this past week. Tony spent 14 years on the senior leadership teams of some of the most effective Christ-centered and kingdom-focused churches in the U.S. before starting his church coaching and consultancy organization, The Unstuck Group. Tony is the author of The Unstuck Church, a book which helps churches assess where they are today and then take action to live into their fullest potential as they do their part in fulfilling the Great Commission. Now Tony and I have an insightful discussion on this week's episode about how pastors and ministry leaders can best guide their churches into effective kingdom ministry. Tony shares three key questions that every ministry team must answer in relation to their church. We also discuss how to navigate some of those hard conversations that we must have as leaders. Uh, So I encourage you to grab a pen and get ready to take some notes as you join me in my conversation with Tony Morgan. Tony, it's so good to have you with us here on the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome, brother. I'm glad to be with you, Jason. Awesome. Now, Tony, we're going to jump right into a topic that our listeners and readers have been discussing for quite some time, and that is strategic church development. Now, I imagine you experience something similar, but as I travel the country, as I meet with pastors and ministry leaders, one of really the great questions that many are wrestling with is this, you know, they say, listen, we believe God has placed us in this place, that God has called us to live out his mission, but how do we really do that most effectively, right? This is one of those questions that pastors are really wrestling with. I know it's a big question. It has many layers, but Tony, um, let's just dive right in to this. If a pastor sincerely desires to, to really grow their people, to develop their church, to reach their community, Where do you
1: suggest they start? Yeah, so um, I actually think there are three critical questions that every church leader needs to wrestle with, not only for themselves, but with their leadership team, whether staff leaders or lay leaders. And there are three questions about the church itself. And the first is, um, why do we exist? Why do we do what we do? The second is, where do we believe God's taking the church in the future? And the third is, how are we going to get there? So why do we exist? Where are we going? How are we going to get there? And I think the reason why we find a lot of churches get stuck is they haven't wrestled specifically with what the answer is for their church around all three of those questions. And the reality is though, there's probably more overlap on the first question, at least I hope there is on why we exist, uh, because I think it points to our primary mission as the church is to make new disciples of Jesus. Um, though that may be um, our primary mission and answer that first question, the second two questions are really open to interpretation for unique leaders uh, reach uh, with unique churches trying to re- reach unique groups of people. And so uh, I think that's one of the common reasons, though, we find churches getting stuck is they just, they haven't wrestled sufficiently with those three questions. They haven't answered them clearly enough. And as a result of that, they're finding challenge about what am I supposed to do as a church leader to help lead my church?
0: That makes perfect sense. So with that second question, um, where are we going? What are some of the things that pastors and their key leaders can begin to kind of wrestle through to kind of come to terms with that particular question?
1: Yeah, so I think a good place to begin there is who are we trying to reach? And some plan for the future, I think, needs to clearly identify the who uh, question, too, to have that answered. And so I like to think of it this way. Rather than being a church on Main Street in and, and, uh, any, any town USA, Instead, picture ourselves as foreign missionaries in a for, foreign land, and we're, when we land on the mission field, we need to learn who is in our mission field, what's what are kind of the critical issues that those people are wrestling with, what's important to them before we can connect with them and eventually present the gospel, and hopefully help people have a relationship with Jesus, and take next steps of faith. And so I think understanding who is in our mission field is pretty critical. And so here, there are are three kind of common things that I'm challenging churches and the leaders of these churches that we're serving to consider um, is what's the age range of the people in our mission field that we're going to be primarily focused on, what's their spiritual background, and what's their life stage? And actually, by getting clarity around those key questions, it really helps us to formulate then what our ministry strategy needs to look like. Uh, Not only what Sunday morning looks like, but what does our discipleship process need to look like? How do we communicate with people? How do we connect with people? How do we address the the needs, physical, emotional, spiritual needs that people have so that we do er really earn that opportunity to share the good news? And so I think part of uh, looking at where we're going in the future is uh, trying to figure out who are we reaching. And then secondly, um, beyond that, then looking at what are the the primary growth engines of our ministry? And when I talk about growth engines with churches, talking about two types of growth, both how we're helping people grow spiritually, how we're helping people take their next steps toward Christ— but also how are we growing numerically? How are, how are we reaching more people with the gospel message? And so I think every church needs to have clarity about what their growth engines are. And this is not an opportunity to list everything we do as a church, but um, to really focus on what are the core growth engines of what we do as a church both to both reach more people and to help more people take their next steps uh, faith and here to help churches get focus we're encouraging churches to think about what only three or four core growth engines and commonly in the churches that we're serving that uh, it's not unusual for uh, worship services to be one of those growth engines and some discipleship track to be another growth engine but then the variety of growth engines we see in churches we're serving beyond that uh, is is very, Unique And with that, uh, we're seeing things like a focus on children's ministry or family ministry more generally or a multi-site strategy or leadership development or missions engagement globally or local outreach activities locally. And we're seeing all kinds of everything in between. So getting clarity about who we're reaching and then um, in that how part, too, uh, what are our growth engines so we can know where we can build Um, leadership and volunteer engagement and focus our resources and really focus where we're going in the future I think is pretty critical as well.
0: That's excellent. Now, I, I want to back up a little bit to this idea of who we are reaching. So mm-hmm. we talk, you've talked about the who and then those primary growth engines. But on the who, you, you mentioned three things, age, spiritual background, and life stage. A, mm-hmm. And I, I think as you were saying that, you know, age, that's something that we could probably figure out relatively easily within our mm-hmm. context and, and life stage probably as well. But spiritual background, that, that might be a mm-hmm. little more challenging. How do pastors, you know, in their particular ministry context, how, how do you suggest that they go about trying to determine a bit more about the spiritual background of their community?
1: Yeah, and actually there's a precedence to this. I mean, even looking back to the early church and Paul and Peter approached really two different groups of people with two different spiritual backgrounds, one Jewish background, one Gentile right And um, I think it's important for us as churches even today to consider the focus of our ministry and what is the spiritual background of the person we're primarily trying to reach. And um, you know uh, again, the churches we're serving, and there's a wide spectrum of focus. Uh, some churches we're we're serving are really genuinely trying to reach people that are completely unchurched. No church background whatsoever. And I you know particularly on the east and west coast of our country now, it's there are lots of people that fit that bill they're they're a few generations removed from having any connection to any church right in the Midwest um, or the southeast now um, there's still some generational connection parents or grandparents um, some connection to the church but Every Every day that goes by, there are more and more people that are unchurched or dechurched, churched uh, where they may have had some connection in the past, uh, though commonly now pretty minimal, but there's some frame of reference. Uh, and then there are other churches that we're serving that really they recognize our our focus is on helping new believers uh, take their next steps toward Christ. And so a commitment to really helping people that have already entered into faith with Jesus. So we're seeing all kinds of of spiritual backgrounds in that. Um, But the key with all three of those, whether it's age, life stage, or spiritual background, is to get focus. And this is going to sound a little counterintuitive, but our team's worked with a few hundred churches now over the last several years, and what we have found is the church churches that are more focused on who they're trying to reach within their communities and then get really intentional about everything they do to help that person not only enter into a relationship with Jesus, but then take steps in their spiritual journey, uh, spiritual formation. What we find is those churches that have more focus on who they're trying to reach end up reaching not only that person, but then a broad cross-section of the community where the church is located. But the inverse is not true. We're seeing that the churches that are trying to do a little bit of everything for a lot of different groups of people in their community, different ages, different life stages, different spiritual backgrounds, are struggling to connect with any people and uh, uh, tend to tend to be the churches on the church life cycle that I talk about in the book, um, The Unstuck Church. They tend to be the churches that end up on the down or declining side of the life cycle. So the way I explain it is this, as you get more focus about who you're trying to reach, uh, if somebody shows up on Sunday morning and they don't look like whoever that focused person is that you had in mind, you're not going to turn them away and say, I'm sorry, this is not the church for you. (laughs) So this is not about being exclusive. It's about being intentional. And what we have seen is when churches get really intentional about everything they do, like I said, beginning with their worship services on Sunday morning to their ministry strategy, their discipleship path, how they communicate. When they get intentional because they have a focus on who they're trying to reach, they end up reaching a lot of those people, but they also end up then reaching a broad cross-section of the community. So it's about being intentional and not being exclusive. Well, Tony,
0: I absolutely love that, and that's fascinating. I'm so glad that you've, um, from the churches you've worked with, that you've seen this uh, time and again. So, can you give us kind of an example, of maybe from one of the churches you've worked with, or, or just any example of of what does an intentional focused kind of a group look like? Like if a church is saying, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna focus in on this group," like what's an example of what that might be?
1: Yeah. So, it's not uncommon for us, um, based on what we're seeing in culture, and I think particularly because of the recognition that the church. Um, generally not, I'm not picking on a church, but the church generally has been struggling with reaching the millennial generation. As an example, uh, I love it when churches decide we're going to go after the hardest target. Um, and I think there's some validity to that because if, if you can reach that generation and I don't know what, Jason, where where are the millennials age wise these days? It's, uh, like, is it early twenties to mid thirties or late thirties or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, th- this, uh, churches generally, I think, are sensing right now is the hardest generation to reach. Um, I, just as a side note, I hope we don't give so much focus to trying to reach millennials that we neglect the generation that's following, that's actually coming through elementary and, and student ministry right now, but... We're finding a lot of churches uh, that we work with are, they're identifying that age range, kind of early 20s to mid-30s right now, um, and they start to ask questions about if, if, if that's the age range that we're focused on, what is their spiritual background, and then what generally is their life stage, and commonly what we're seeing is uh, 20s or early 30-something, they're just now beginning to think about marriage and uh, just now begin beginning, beginning to think about um, having their first child. And uh, this, it's kind of funny to me because I'm, I'm an old guy, Jason. So uh, <laughs> I, was, I was in my early 20s when we got married and started having kids, but I am. I'm an old guy now, and that's not how the young kids are doing it these days. Uh, and so we just start asking questions. If that's their life stage, um, it, based on their spiritual background, too, what what's what's really important to them? What what are the critical questions that they're asking? Um, and commonly, it, I mean, it does revolve around things like what's my identity, what's my purpose, how can I be a part of something bigger than myself, uh, how can I make an impact in this world, um, and then just as far as their life stage, it's like. Uh, what 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 should be important to me as i'm trying to find a spouse and if we do have kids how how do i pass along uh, what i'm learning in my faith and what i'm experiencing in my life and basically just looking for some practical Help and in, in everything about their lives, from uh, how they're trying to live out the purpose in their life to what's important for them in their new marriages and what's important to them as they're raising their kids, and we just start asking the question then as a church then if these are these are the priority needs and what's most important to them in their lives, how should the church respond to that? Do we have any responsibility? And I think in almost every case, at least along those things that I just mentioned, I think not only does the church have a place to respond, but certainly uh, the Scripture points to a number of truths that would be beneficial uh, to that generation to help them take their next steps as they connect in faith and connect to the church. And so the beginning point, again, is just getting clarity about who are we trying to reach, and then figuring out, well, what's critical to them in the life stage where they're living? And then the next question then is, how should the church respond? The challenge, I think, for most churches is we've never asked those questions. And honestly, I think in many cases, we've just been doing church the way we've always done church. And I think that's part of the challenge that many churches are facing now. We're saying many— uh, fi- finding themselves in a season of maintenance or preservation or, in the worst cases, life support, um, because they're holding to biblical truth and a biblical foundation, which, of course, is that's what we want. That's what the healthiest churches should be doing. But by the same token, we're holding on to the same methods that we've always used to engage ministry as churches. And as a result of that, we're struggling to connect with an ever-evolving culture.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's good, and that's that's probably one of the um, one of the themes that we've been wrestling through at the church for for many decades now. It's you know holding on to uh, the biblical foundations, but kind of. Um, trying to be a little more open-handed with, with the methodology. And, and, and we see that, you know, uh, it seems like generation after generation, decade after decade, that this is one of the, the, the critical things that churches need to kind of process through. And so I, I love the fact that you talked through this idea of, you know, why do we exist? What is our mission to, to create um, passionate uh, disciples, right? And then mm-hmm. where are we going? That second question. And, and mm-hmm. I love the idea of being intentional, not exclusive, but intentional. Who is mm-hmm. it we're trying to reach? What does that look like now? I know that in your book, The Unstuck Church, you begin to to also wrestle with that third question, how are we going to get there? And I think that yeah. th- that's where this kind of comes into play, where we have to kind of really, really try to open our eyes and see what things do we need to put into place? What things do we perhaps need to change or alter in some way so that we are able to get where we feel God is leading us, right? And so, right. So, so one of those big things I know that you touch on in the book and, and your, uh, in uh, your other writings and, and with your um, group, the Unstuck group, is this idea of structure. Um, mm-hmm. That structure is kind of key when it comes to how are we actually gonna get there? So, mm-hmm. so Tony, can you first talk to us a little bit about what types of structure have you and your team seen in churches that you're working with that actually inhibit a church from reaching more people and making disciples. What what are some structures yeah. that hold us back?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And um, you know, there there are a handful of common themes that we find in churches that are legitimately stuck. Uh, but a couple of them actually relate to this piece on structure. One has to do with um, complexity is just that uh, whether it relates to ministry programming, trying to do too much, too many things, um, trying to compete with um, different ministry areas for people's time and attention, that's one form of complexity, but the other relates to the structure question that you're asking where it's just the, the governance that we've created in our church is so complex, it just gets very difficult to make even the simplest of decisions one of the churches that we were working with recently had over two hundred people on their deacon board. Oh it's, my. Just, <laughs> it's tough it's tough to make decisions when you have that many people serving on a board. Another church we were working with had over 30 different committees. Oh. Again, it's just it's tough to get decisions made when you have that many committees. One example, a church we were working with, they just needed to get their student ministry room painted, um, but in order to get that, get the money to purchase the paint and actually get the room painted. They had to go to a board of trustees, which oversaw kind of the facility decisions. They had to involve the youth ministry committee, which obviously uh, was focused on the strategy around youth ministry, student ministry. Um, They had to work with the finance committee because that committee actually handled the money. And then ultimately that that decision, once all the committees approved, it it had to go to the board to eventually approve, approve moving forward Well, finally someone on the team just got fed up they went down to home depot and bought some paint and went and painted the room using their own money but it's a it's a great example of how even in the simplest of decisions when when the structure is complex it makes it very difficult for us to carry out even the simplest ministry decisions that really help us to accomplish the mission that god's called us to But then the second second challenge that we commonly see around structure has to do around leadership and whether or not the church is empowering strong leadership. And and part of this has to do with the fact um, that we don't actually put people in leadership roles that have leadership gifts. They're not qualified as biblical leaders, and they don't have the leadership gift. And anytime you try to put anybody in any role or position where they're not gifted, that person's going to get frustrated, they're not going to be fulfilled, but the body of Christ is not going to be strong. I mean, this is a basic uh, principle that Paul taught us when he taught about the various parts of the body and how we all come together to form the body of Christ. And so um, in some churches, the strength of the leadership has to do with the fact that we're not empowering people with leadership gifting and biblically qualified leaders to be in leadership roles. But the other aspect related to strong leadership is sometimes churches are getting strong, biblically qualified leaders in roles, but they're just not empowering those leaders to use their gifts. And so... You know, examples that we see commonly in stuck churches are rather than allowing those leaders to make decisions and to help move the ministry strategy forward, again, the structure gets gets in the way. And there are no, a number of hoops and committees and board meetings and things like that um, that leaders have to go through in order to get decisions made and to help move ministry forward. I just don't think that's the way God designed the church. I think God's design of the church was to identify biblically qualified leaders, leaders with the leadership gift, and to actually empower them to use those gifts. Now, should there be some level of accountability within the structure to support these strong, strong, healthy leaders? Yes, I think there should be. Um, Ultimately, they're accountable to God, but I do think it's healthy for every church to have some local board of overseers um, to provide encouragement to the senior pastor and the staff team uh, and the rest of the ministry leaders, um, but also to provide some framework for health for that pastor and and the team and some accountability for actually following through with the mission of the church and to do that in a healthy way. And so there should be some level of local accountability, but when we make it so difficult for leaders to make even the basic of decisions, we're really not empowering them to use their gifts. And as a result of that, this is commonly one of the areas where we see churches getting stuck. And what we've noticed is there's really an inverse relationship between the amount of structure that's in place and the stuckness of the churches. So we just looked at the data. Growing churches tend to have smaller boards and fewer committees than declining churches. And I think it's a good example of what we're talking about here, Jason, is when churches get the structure right, it actually frees the church Uh, To reach more people. And by the way, those growing churches are also baptizing more people as well. So there's more life change happening in those churches where there's less structure. They still have structure, but there's less structure and they're basically freeing up leaders to use their leadership gifting.
0: I love that Tony,
1: because as you mentioned, that's so biblical.
0: (laughs) And sometimes in the church, you know, we get we get stuck in things, methods, and those types of things that um, they're all put in place for a good reason. But then sometimes we get so um, kind of involved in that that structure that it inhibits actually um, um, what Scripture is calling us to do. So uh, we talked about simplicity and empowering leadership, and I can only imagine, Tony, that there's a pastor listening right now. And um, she's sitting there saying, "Yes, Tony, exactly. I'm in a church right now. It's way too complex the way we have everything set up. When it comes to leadership, we have we have leaders that are in roles that that really don't have leadership gifts. It's not it's not you know really the, their place. It's not where where they probably are called or designed to fit in. And yet they've been in that role because that's just how it's been. And so so that pastor's sitting there agreeing 100%. But then." he or she has to come before their church leadership and help them see that themselves, help them see that, you know, we do need to simplify things. We do need to, to maybe shift some people out of some particular roles and shift others into, into those roles. Uh, wh- what advice, I guess, would you yeah. give to that pastor who agrees 100% with what you're saying, with, you know, this entire conversation, but is sitting in a church where it's so kind of entrenched, yeah. that they almost feel like there's not a whole lot they can
1: do. Yeah, so I would encourage uh, church leaders to—well, um, number one, this is going to sound like I'm over-spiritualizing, but it's amazing how often God intervenes is he, you have to pray yeah, for man. for those situations. You have to pray for the person um, that's involved that you sense is in a leadership position that's not a not a fit for their gifting. Um, you need to pay, pray for the ministry— Um, that God would get help, uh, help you identify the right people with the right gifting to be in the right roles. And I'm always amazed um, when you just start there, how often God intervenes and initiates the tough conversations uh, that really help to free up people to move on to roles or to other ministries or other opportunities to use their gifting and helps the church get to a healthier place as well. So you do have to begin there. Uh, secondly, again, on the individual level, I just think in many cases, um, it's not because the person is uh, that you have in a role isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing. It's because we as supervisors, as leaders, haven't clarified what the win looks like. Mm. And I think that the person— That we sense may not be a fit for the the leadership position they're in. They deserve the opportunity to grow into the leadership uh, role that you're expecting them to fulfill. But they can't do that if they don't know what the win looks like. And so, I think the second step is we need to be more effective at outlining what does the win look like. What are what are we holding you accountable to fulfill in your in your leadership role? And honestly, specific, uh, one of the, the specific areas that we tend to neglect is uh, the ability of a leader to raise up other leaders and to build teams to accomplish ministry. It's basically the Ephesians four twelve. A uh, principle around leadership: we have to equip God's people to do the work of God, and so prioritizing what what does the clear win look like to equip God's people to do the work of God rather than you doing the work of God. I think that's critical, and so getting clarity about that win is important. And then the third step, uh, and this is before we even involve boards and committees and people that are telling us what we can and can't do with people in different positions. The third step is to just to have regular, honest conversations with the person that you sense may not be a fit for the position that they're in. And ask questions like, how are you feeling right now? Do you feel like you're winning in, in your role? Uh, do you feel fulfilled? Uh, do you do you sense that this your wiring is a great fit for the role? And what I have found is when you when you pray for people, and then when you clarify expectations, when you don't lower expectations uh, to meet where you sense somebody's leadership capacity is, but rather raise expectations and give them the coaching and the opportunity to live up to those higher expectations and then have regular conversations where you're asking questions about how they sense they're doing in that role. In many cases, either they'll respond to that direction and coaching and step up and really prove that, no, really, they are the right person for that role, or they will begin to initiate conversations that will allow you to help them take their next step, wherever that is. If that's in a different... Role within your ministry or a different ministry or outside ministry where they can use their gifting but still be a part of the body of Christ. Um, those three steps, I think, need to proceed. Any conversation then that you might have with your your um, lay leadership boards or committees that might be in a decision role related to your staffing and structure uh, where you're having to initiate the really tough conversation where somebody doesn't recognize that they're not a fit and they haven't responded to the coaching and you have to initiate a transition and, and help them either move into a different role or move off the team. So those are the three steps I would encourage church leaders to consider, Jason.
0: Yeah, that's so helpful, Tony. And I think that that idea of sitting down and having those honest conversations with, with some of your leaders uh, about their specific role, and like you said, asking those questions and kind of exploring it together um, mm-hmm. is, is one of those things that oftentimes I found, and even myself as a pastor, I remember early on as a lead pastor... I would find myself kind of avoiding those conversations more than I should rather than sitting down and and kind of talking through them because you know we, we don't wanna come across like we might be discouraging someone in some fashion. So how is it that uh, as a pastor, we might have those conversations in such a way that we are moving those conversations and moving those people forward in their journey as a disciple and as a leader? What are some key things maybe in that?
1: Yeah, so uh, you might not have this challenge, but I'm pushing 50, and uh, to stay physically healthy – uh, I actually have to do some things like exercise <laughs> that <clears throat> when I do them, they actually cause pain when I'm doing them. Right, right. I, mean, I mean, there's uh, an exertion that happens. It's not fun, but I know that I have to be intentional and disciplined about doing this or my physical body will not stay healthy. And uh, for those of us in ministry, we just have to remember avoidance of pain is not the win, Health in our ministry is the win. That's good. And as a result of that, I think it will help position a little bit, I think, more appropriately in our minds those tough conversations, which initially probably will create some pain. But the objective is to bring health uh, initially to that individual that needs to hear the truth and love. And by the way, that's pretty critical too. You can't just Share the truth, and you can't just share the love, it's truth in love. Mm. Um, it's this isn't critical to the health of that person, but it's also critical to the health of the body of Christ as well, right? I mean, again, we all have to be operating in our areas of strength, it's the way God has wired us all up uniquely, those of us that uh, call uh, Jesus our Lord and Savior, and so as a result of that. Uh, that unique gifting that he's put into each one of us, that's part of our role as leaders in the church is to help people identify that, operate in those areas of strength, and begin to soar and really find purpose, God's purpose for their life in the areas where they're, they're they are most strong and gifted. Um, and that's just a critical part of leadership. I always joke with people, Being a leader is all fun and games until you actually have to lead. Right. Right. I mean, you actually have to be a leader at some point. And part of being a leader is helping people people identify where they're winning and where they're not, where they have strength and where they do not, uh, but helping them find the right fit. And uh, sometimes that fit is on our team in the role that they're in. Sometimes that fit is on our team, but in a different role that better leverages their gifts. Sometimes that fits in the body of Christ, but not on a, in a paid staff role too. And so that's part of what we have to do as leaders is really sometimes actually initiate the pain so that we can get to the health.
0: Yeah, Tony, that's key. And, and like you said, that's, that's not always the easiest thing to do, but it is um, certainly the, the healthiest thing to do for that person and for the church as a whole. Uh, Tony, man, this has been such a great conversation. We could literally go on for hours, just, just powerful stuff. But um, before we take off, if our listeners want to learn more about you and your team and how you're serving churches through the Unstuck Group or, or how they can learn more about, uh, about your
1: book, the Unstuck Church, where where should they go? Yeah, so I, th- I really do think the best place to begin, and even a lot of the churches that we serve have started here, it's actually to pick up the book, The Unstuck Church, and I uh, th- it released a little less than a year ago. And it, it what it does is it maps out seven stages of the church life cycle. From launch all the way through sustained health, where is, and that's where ultimately we want churches to be, and then through life support if churches experience plateau and decline. And I just think that would be a great resource for you to read with your your leaders, your lay leaders and your staff leaders, to first identify where, where are we as a church. And then, more importantly, what are the next steps that we need to be taking so that we can, as a church, move towards sustained health. But then if you're looking for help beyond What the book can provide, you're right. That's this is what we do with churches across the country. Um, We've served over 300 churches in the last several years, all different shapes and sizes, all different denominations, and we'd love to come alongside those uh, churches that are listening as well. And the best place to learn about that is to go to theunstuckgroup.com, and uh, there's a link you can get started with a conversation with us just to learn more about what that what that engagement looks like.
0: Excellent. Tony, thank you so much. And we will include um, links to both the book and to uh, your website, theunstuckgroup.com in our show notes. So if our listeners want to check that out, we'll have that available for them. And again, Tony, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for all you shared. And um, you just uh, have so much uh, wisdom and experience that you and your team have have gained over the years um, from your time in ministry uh, as senior leadership and ministry at some of the greatest churches across the country, kingdom-focused churches, and then all that you're doing through the Unstuck Group with, with helping coach and consult churches into living to their fullest potential. So thank you once again for being here and being a part of the Church Leaders Podcast.
1: Thank you, Jason.